Welcome to another episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast, a podcast all about inspiring and encouraging dads and anglers as we wade through fishing, parenting, and faith on the fly. The Dads on the Fly podcast is brought to you by Sly Fishing Outfitters. Sly Fishing Outfitters is a Massachusetts-based fly fishing company on a mission to protect you and your gear from the elements. They have full-length fly fishing rod socks and gear. Make sure and check them out at slyfishingoutfitters.com. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 47 of the Dads on the Fly podcast. I'm Caleb alongside my brother, Joshua, and we have something really special in store for you today, an interview with a guy that Joshua actually just got the opportunity to meet via social media. So one of the perks of social media. Joshua, tell him a little bit about our guest. Yeah, man, I just uh, saw this really cool reel with this guy fishing on a paddleboard with his young son. They were catching all these bass. It was a short clip. Sent him a message. Next thing I know, we were talking back and forth on social media and got the wonderful opportunity to meet digitally. And now tonight, through the interview, Mr. Jesse Mills of Backwater Fly Fishing. Caleb, we have a really exciting episode. He talks about anything from fishing in the jungle to what is it like to raise two young children in Costa Rica. And now he is a successful filmmaker along with his international guide experience. So can't wait for everyone to check out this episode. Yeah, this episode was a lot of fun getting to hear a lot about Jesse's story. And so we cannot wait for you to hear it. So without further ado, let's jump into our interview with Mr. Jesse Mails of Backwater Fly Fishing. So tonight we have with us, and let me make sure I get, there's a lot of titles in here. Let's make sure we get all this right. We got an award-winning filmmaker uh, a international fly fishing guide, a father of two, a amazing fly tire and fly creator, and someone who's been in the industry for, we didn't even ask him how many years, but it seems like a lot, and he has, he's made his life in fly fishing. So we want to welcome tonight, Mr. Jesse Mills. How you doing, buddy? Good, man. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure for sure. Hey, Jesse, thanks for being on, man. We just, uh, we are so grateful that you're taking some time out of your busy schedule. Uh, we know you got a lot going on. I mean, obviously, all the titles, right? Always I mean, do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, making content, uh, tying flies. We're sitting uh, here talking to you via Zoom, and I see all your amazing fly tying stuff behind you. It's like you said, when you do it for a living, you, you accumulate a lot of stuff. So that's really yeah, neat, that's man. Great. Hey, you're still in the thunder for the. Uh, the behind the vice episode part of the episode here in a minute we're gonna we're gonna get into the behind the vice here in a little bit but uh we want to start man just you grew up in central central florida yeah that's right central florida okay so when's the first time that you you had a fly rod in your hand or when did you kind of get that experience man like where i grew up was like pretty rural man like our property pretty much backed up the state forest um called the Gothi Forest and we lived essentially outside of a town called Donellan which has a few rivers a bunch of lakes around it so from my house I could walk and three four hundred yards and hit this pond covering lily pads out in the middle of a cow pasture and that's where I learned how to fish period like there were bluegill and bass and a whole bunch of alligators and really all we did was go down there as kids me and my brothers and fish and then I guess I was probably like six to eight years old, somewhere in there. And my dad had all these VHS tapes and there were like two in, in particular. One 
I think was a Hank Parker bass fishing video where he's like catching bass on the Potomac river. And I would watch that one religiously. And then the other one was like this fly fishing video of these dudes catching salmon. And then there was like a little intro to like how to fly cast and how to dry fly fish. So like the bass one was like, okay, yeah, that's what I do. But the fly fishing one was like completely foreign to me. So immediately I'm talking to my dad about it. And my dad is from South Florida and actually lived in the same neighborhood as Lefty Cray and knew Lefty Cray's son. So it's like this sort of funny backstory that I never knew as a kid. I didn't know who any of those people were. Um, so I obviously asked my dad, Hey, what are these dudes doing in this video? Um, it looks super rad. So they, he gets back to me and he's like, yeah, you know, I have an old fiberglass rod in the garage that's been sitting there since forever. I could teach you how to fly cast with it. So at a young age, I, I learned how to fly cast in the backyard. And then I really, from where I was fishing in these lakes with lily pads everywhere and all this stuff as a kid, not having a lot of skill, it just frustrated me. So I was like, yeah, screw this. I'm throwing a rubber worm back on. And that's pretty much what I did until right after college when I had some things going on in life, which we'll get into. And it ended up just catapulting me into being like, what do I really want to do? What do I enjoy doing? And that's what I remembered. Like, okay, I fished my whole life. I'm going to start fishing again and doing the things that make me happy. And fly fishing just came right away with that. And so did fly tying. Um, the moment I got into it, I didn't, I started fly tying right off the bat. So I always thought the two went hand in hand and it wasn't until, you know, a few years into it that I realized once I got some friends that not everyone ties flies and it was like, Oh, okay. So that's sort of the, the backstory on how I got into fly fishing, I uh, guess. Before we go any further, I feel like it, <laughs> you, you said something there. I got to just ask a quick follow up. Do we have any alligator stories or, or any like any close encounters just that, that were? Yeah, like I mean, <laughs> yeah, I've been. We've had dogs get eaten by alligators. We've I've been caught so many. We used to go out, lean over the front of the canoe at night with headlamps and just grab them by the necks just for fun. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, my that's pretty much what we did. That's, that's Florida, uh, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's Florida. Oh, like, Florida. Yeah, that's I love it, man. I love it. There you go. That's how it goes. That's Definitely awesome. alligator stories for days. We can do a podcast on that. <laughs> for <awesome>. sure. <laughs> so you started, um, you said something in there that you, your life kind of altered. You said you got out of college, right? Yeah, definitely and, definitely. and you were not in the fly fishing industry, correct? No, not at that time at all. I was actually, um, my first few years out of college, I got married right after college i met my wife like a month before i graduated from university so um a lot of things were shifting but i was actually managing like the second busiest domino's pizza restaurant in the southeastern united states That's so awesome. it was like on the ucf campus busy as all hell and just 24 hours a day seven days a week the store never closed um and that's what i was doing i was stuck in, in restaurants managing restaurants so what turned it into fly fishing then? Did, did you, uh, was it a, I hate this so much, I got to do something else? Or was it more of a just desire to follow something else? What, what, where did that kind of come from? Yeah, I mean, it, for, 
it's hard to say. It was a lot of things crashing in that, at that time in life for sure. Um, I was 22. I got hit with the idea of being at a place in the company where I was going to speak at conventions and they were having me go, you know, kind of show other people sort of what were we doing in our store to make it so successful. And I had a degree in business and marketing. So this is what I thought my trajectory was. And, you know, it kind of got to the point where it was like, Hey, if you're, if you're going to be in this game, like you don't want to run the restaurant like you want to own the restaurants. And then it became like, no, it's going to, because everything was going so well, it was like a thrust to, to franchise. And I was like, do I want to be the dude who like smells like pizza till 35? Like, and now I'm almost 35 and I'm so stoked that I don't smell like pizza you might and come, haven't for a long time. <laughs> you might come home smelling like fish, but not, not pizza. So right? I quit. I put in like, I put in like a three weeks notice and said I'd train some people and everyone thought I was nuts at the time, corporate and everybody. And the franchisee was like, what are you doing? You know? And I, I peaced out. And then I didn't have a plan at all. I got a captain's license with the Coast Guard. Uh, and then I started working as a kayak salesperson pretty much at an outdoor store. Just went from there. So so uh, pizza manager, pizza shop manager to selling kayaks. And then where did fly fishing get in and all that? So at that time, that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to, I had been kayak fishing for a long time and I would say I was proud, you know, at the time when kayak fishing was kicking off, like it, like it was then, I mean, I was not a professional, but I definitely knew my way around and um, I knew the drill. So that's when I really got into to saltwater fly fishing and we weren't far from an area called the Mosquito Lagoon, which was still a pretty viable fishery back then. Now it's just water issues and all these things have destroyed a lot of the landscape, but the, um, the area was awesome. So like I would go out in my kayak by myself and just fly fish all day, um, on my days off. And, uh, that's when I just really started figuring out fly fishing and decided like, and fly tying at the same time. And I started watching more YouTube videos on how to learn how to tie flies. But then every video I saw was like 20 minutes long. And I was like, this is terrible. Like there yes. has to be a better way yes. to learn a fly without sitting there for 20 minutes. So I started really looking at how do I do videos at all? I didn't know background in that. And I had at the same time I was running I started running boats on the West coast for manatee snorkeling tours in a place called crystal river, which is where I live now. And we would take these little underwater, like Canon D twenties or something underwater point and shoots on, on the trips to photograph the clients and then sell images afterwards. And that's the first time I really started like figuring out that like angles and photos and what it all was. And then immediately I was like going out on my days off and trying to do it with the fish. And, but I was all alone. I didn't have any friends that did it. I didn't know anyone that fly fished actively. So man, it was the first few years of fly fishing was me all by myself out there, just beating my head against it. Mm. And, uh, same with the photo thing. I've never been around other photographers or videographers. It's just, things I developed to promote myself and my businesses. And then it got to where I got so good at that, that that became a business in itself. And, um, 
so yeah, when I started fly fishing, I kind of all kind of happened at one time and I was just like left alone to figure it out. The, the true definition of self-taught is what it sounds like. He definitely self-taught. Yeah, there's no the- doubt. And that, that actually was just what kind of led me to do. If you look at my YouTube channel, like hundreds of fly tying videos that are three to five minutes long, yeah. you know, uh, 20 we, minutes. We can talk about that here a little bit when we talk about fly tying, but man, that is one of my favorite things about your videos. Cause I, in the same way, like, why do we have to watch a 30 minute video on how to tie a <laughs> flipping one inch long fly? Just makes no sense. Yeah. To me. But yeah. So, um, that's all really cool. And I, I love the way you kind of had this story of literally, you know, figuring it out on your own. Um, just kind of, I mean, I mean, I'm sure you just picked it up as a hobby. I mean, just fly fishing, uh, you probably got the, got the drug like we did. Um, yeah. and, but then you've turned it into now this crazy successful business. Um, so yeah pretty wild so talk a little Uh, bit more about how did backwater fly fishing come into uh existence i guess that didn't like when i was stateside i really didn't start promoting backwater fly fishing at all i think i had bought the domain name or the website and it was like i would put up short little blog posts or like oh i caught a redfish today or something nobody watched it like it was I hadn't figured out, I didn't have Instagram yet. I didn't, I was on Facebook, but I wasn't the dude. I really was like not into social media whatsoever at the time. And the thought of using it to promote anything was like not even in the picture. So I was just like, I guess it was there. I had the domain name, but it didn't pick up until I got to Costa Rica and I had moved to Costa Rica, which we'll probably get into later on in the show as well. I think you just need to go right there, like, because that's my question. How do we go <laughs> from central, well, middle of Florida or wherever, and all of a sudden now we're in Costa Rica? So you got to tell us that story. So we had, me and my dad and, and my family, essentially, I met a lady that lived down there. And one thing leads to another, and I get the opportunity, they get the opportunity to go down, visit the country, see what it's like. Then we get the opportunity me and my wife to move down there. We end up taking the opportunity without, because at this time in my life, I just quit my job. I really am floating around. I don't have a lot of, I don't have a, at least a job that's tying me down anywhere. And on top of everything, which we get to, I, you know, and I, I've told the story many times, but any big decision in my life is definitely based on what I feel the Lord wants me to do. That's the bottom line. And at this point in my life, that's when I was really trying to figure out and get away from some bad things I was into and, and transition into, okay, Lord, like, what, what, what am I doing? Who am I? What's my trajectory and all this? And the only thing I felt really led to do was to go down there without a plan, mind you. So it was, it was a mix of having nothing to do and then feeling like this is the thing I should do, even though it's absolutely nuts. And, uh, so we did, um, I think we sold, sold everything we had and we went down there with like 15 grand me and my wife and no idea what we were doing. Um, and then I was down there with a buddy of mine and I was tying flies. Right. Cause this, I'm like, we're eventually I'm going to fish in this place. And <laughs> there you go. I'm going to have to have some flies. So he's down there. I'm tying flies and, and he's actually my business partner. Now he lives down there and uh, we guide together and stuff, but, and he's a guy I've known since he was born. He literally, since he came from the hospital, um, we grew up together and stuff, but he, he was watching me tie flies and I was tying the shrimp fly and he's like, dude, that's, that's a pretty good fly. You know, you should sell it. And I'm like, dude, nobody, 
is interested in buying these flies. Like, trust me. And he's like, no, like, I mean, think about it. Like you're, you need money, right? Like you're pretty much running out of money. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. I'm like, but selling flies to me was like super foreign. I, I had known, I mean, at that time on Instagram, like guys like Nick Davis from South Florida and, and Juicy Cone and these guys were selling saltwater flies and a few other dudes. But to me, it was like, well, I'm in Costa Rica now. Like I'm not in Florida. I'm not, why am I going to sell a fly? But I decided, well, I'm going to take some images of these things. And I joined some Facebook groups for fly fishing. And I was like, I'm just going to post a few photos of these things in there and just see what people think or whatever. And I started posting in these fly tying groups and people started being like, yo, these are sick. Like what's going on? Like, are you selling flies? And I was like, Oh my gosh, he was like, he was right. Like there's people genuinely want to participate in this. So that's what backwater fly fishing started as was me. And, and I immediately started doing educational videos on fly tying at that moment because people started saying, well, like, oh, what's this? And I was getting messages, what's this material? How do you do, what's this? So I was like, okay, I'm just going to start, as I go, I'm going to start teaching people how to time. So then I was posting the fly time videos in there and that got big. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to create an online store and sell the flies. And I, I, my original thought was I'm going to tie like a thousand flies of 25 different types, whatever it was, I'm going to mail them back to the States. I'm going to have my body mailing for me when people buy them. So that's originally what it was. My friend Anthony in Tampa would get the flies in the mail. We'd get orders through the internet and he'd sell them out. I'd tie a whole bunch more flies and send them back. And, you know, it at least gave me some momentum to think like, okay, like there's something happening. I don't know exactly what's going on, but I'm in the freaking jungle. I'm tying flies. (laughs) I'm trying to explore a country I've never been to. I don't speak the language. I'm running out of money. Um, I ended up running out of money and uh, still stuck it out. And, and then it all just came right back. And it was, it's like, so that, so the start of it is there in Costa Rica with fly tying and, and fly tying education. And then we started exploring the country really hard. Me and my friend Micah with, uh, we bought a kayak, a tandem kayak. And we were looking on Google Earth and just driving our truck to these places we thought we could get to. And we know it, you know, there's nothing online at the time. And there's still really isn't much online about how and where to fish Costa Rica. Like I've explored every inch of the place almost over the last six years. And, and there's still things in between that I've never been to and that other people I know have never stuck a fly. So we started running around and then posting those little videos. And I was making these like short little edits of us just messing around. They're still on the YouTube channel. I think if you go way back on it, they're still on there. Um, and then it got to where people were like, Oh, like, are you start, are you going to guide down there? And I was like, no, nah, I'm just selling flies. Like we're posting videos for fun. Like we're not guiding. And then we ended up meeting a guy who owns an outdoor store down there, Mark Evans. He owns an outdoor store called Stone Mountain Outdoors in San Jose. And he became a good friend of mine. I took him on a backpacking trip in Wyoming and we got to be really good buds. And that's when um, he's an old gringo dude. He's like 
not old, but he's been down there for like 20 years and um, just real knowledgeable dude. And he was really getting into fly fishing at the time too. So then it was like me, Mark and Micah, and we were just running around in his Land Rover or Land Cruiser or whatever the heck it is and exploring all these places together. And that really got us thinking like, we're getting a lot of buzz about people wanting to come fish. Like let's start a guiding company. So Mark's a citizen down there. So we're Mark with all this paperwork and legal garbage. I was like, Mark, start the business. We'll subcontract as guides for you. And let's just do this. I'll build a website. Like I'll do the photos and blah, blah, blah. One thing leads to another. Boom. We have a guiding business. We're just running around, taking people to the places that we've found for ourselves where we're no one else guides like legitimately um and started off just doing trout fishing in the high mountains machaca fishing which is like a piranha species and then remote beach camping trips um on these remote beaches that we had found that fished really well for kayaks and paddle boards so that was it and that's all we started doing and then that kind of started growing right before covid we we're we're really doing well and COVID's a whole nother animal sure. and being down there during COVID. But then we got into offshore stuff a little bit, started booking, passing clients to offshore boats. And really the whole time we like have our eyes on tarpon fishing because there's some epic tarpon fisheries down there that we just couldn't tap into because they're so remote and you have to know people in the areas. You can't just go run around out in these places as three gringo dudes. So it took some time to make the connections and for people there to reach out to us um, with any type of information. Uh, and then we, we ended up joining up with a, a guy named Peter Gorinsky, who's a legend to fly fishing in Central and South America. He's sort of pioneered it, to be honest. Um, he's from Guyana, but he lives in Costa Rica now and ended up living like five minutes from me, like right down the street from my house. So I get introduced to him and he has a conservation organization called craft and that's sort of like a group of probably 60 really tight-knit fly fishermen and that's pretty much all the fly fishermen in the country wow um so that became a good hub for us all to bounce ideas off each other and um ended up meeting uh federico happel and tom anderlin who are uh, federico and his brother and his cousins have like dozens of world records on fly they're uh costa ricans and they are good friends with tom anderlin who runs a a long time guide service down there for tarpon in the jungle and then so we ended up all becoming friends and it's just like i said i mean it's just this evolution of things but having not been in the position to start or and taking that leap of faith at the beginning like none of these things happen you know and yeah. it's like anytime i think anybody that gets into a position where it looks successful or it looks like something people assume like oh this dude had the money or he had the people helping him or he had the and sometimes that's the case but you know when people look at me like i want to be really clear and like i was went flat broke down in that country i stuck it out i drugged my wife through a whole bunch of stuff yeah i was wondering when you were gonna throw a big shout out to her for yeah shout out to her had kids in a foreign play i mean you name it, like it was going wrong for me, but staying headstrong. And, and the key thing that, that that's always been for me is like in this whole thing has been not giving myself 
a plan B. Like there's no other options. Quitting isn't one getting, getting frustrated and saying, screw it. I'm going to go get a nine to five. Isn't one like, however, this is going to work out. It's going to work out. And, and I just, I believe that. And I, I don't know six months from now, you know what I'm saying? But, uh, and that's been how it's been since for the last six and a half, seven years of my life. All right. We got to stop and talk a little bit about Costa Rica since this is, the only person we may ever have from like that knows anything about Costa Rica on this podcast. Well, I had a I had a question about that specifically. So you started a God service in Costa Rica. Now, when I think Costa Rican God service, I immediately think offshore, deep sea. I mean, usually everybody yeah. I know that that I mean, my father in law has been to Costa Rica to to fish, and it's all offshore, deep sea fishing. Right. You don't yeah. think a lot of. He said. The I mean, you said trout like in the mountains in Costa Rica. It's just. People yeah, that's that, true, so man. Like, it is, um, it's been narrowed down and really like cornered out as an offshore market. And the offshore fishing is fantastic. It is. But when we got there, like we didn't have access to any of that stuff. It wasn't until later we met people that owned boats and wanted us to come out and film and do things that we really got, had the opportunities to do that. Um, but bef- at first it was us in a kayak and we were inshore saltwater fishing and we were taking this thing down rivers thinking of where we could if there's any fish we had no idea what was in them going out to some of the lagoons and and lower land rivers too and just paddling for all day man checking things out trying to trying to figure out what's going on because when you looked on maps like and being from florida like i know rivers i know lakes i know these backwater areas so i'm I'm like, there has to be fish in this spot. Unless people have been in there and netted the whole thing, like there's something in there. So that's what we did. We were just powerhousing through these places. And then did you I had to- heard about trout and that slowly kind of developed into where are these, where are they? What rivers have them? What rivers don't? What elevation do I need to be at? And which ones have them, but have no access. We're going to have to cut into or rappel down mountains into like, which is all things we did looking for trout. Um, and yeah, we actually, we became pretty trout, pretty big trout nerds, like down there in Costa Rica, believe it or not. The Costa Rica <laughs> trout bums. They were, they were the Costa Rica trout bums. I love it. So yeah. I was going to ask, did you have a lot of like access issues there though? I mean, I mean, oh, dude, here, like, here we have access issues of being on somebody's private land. I feel like there it's more just like actually getting to it. Yeah, like there you pray for private land because then you can at least ask somebody like, hey, can I walk through your property? Okay. There, like if it's not forested, like you're, it's a hell of a time getting through the jungle. Like yeah. you can't just walk through like you, like a hardwood forest, man. Yeah, it's like, not trails cut through for and you. The mountains, I mean, at the elevation where there's trout, luckily there's not a lot of viper species, but down low, like you don't walk around and – things you can't see down low there's vipers <laughs> everywhere so yes. like you're fighting this thing of like man i really hope we're at a high enough elevation and you're just like bushwhacking through this stuff and you know a lot of times you get to places and you go wow this isn't working out like there's a cliff we didn't see that cliff on google earth yeah. like and the mountains there are treacherous it's no lie like it's you have a few major roads and then that's it. And then you're running on game trails if you're lucky. And, um, wow. Yeah. It's, it's intense. So it's what not, I, it's not like trout fishing anywhere else. No. That's for sure. I want to transition a little bit to, um, we're, we're going to talk about your filmmaking, but so through this, you now, um, 
have have a website I'm currently looking at on my phone here. She told me to check it out before the episode. Uh, Five hundred six outdoors, and so yep. for that is your now instead of back. I know backwaters fly fishing will take you there, but if you're interested mm-hmm. in actually coming to Costa Rica to fish with with you guys, yep. Five hundred six outdoors is our place now, right? To go check right. that out. Okay, yeah, five hundred six outdoors, and on there you've got a ton of different options, which is you know like Caleb said, you never think about i mean i don't know if all of our listeners know where costa rica is but um, i made sure i knew where, where it was before the episode just to, there but, you go. Yeah, but uh you know you think offshore you think a different kind of fishery but well, you've you got, got you got the gulf on one side and you got the pacific on the other right yeah i mean it's just yeah yeah exactly you, but on this Caribbean. website you've got tarpon fishing and and trout fishing and you've got these float trips you do and i know you're big into kayak and i know you do a lot of paddle boards and the inflatable paddle boards and stuff and and so I would definitely tell everybody, you know, go go check this out, even if it's not in your, you know, tomorrow fishing trip list and something you got to plan for and save for. Um, but th- there's some obviously great pictures from because I'm sure you did all this stuff for this website from. But uh, it's it's cool stuff, man. And I never thought about catching trout in Costa Rica. Although I feel like if I go to Costa Rica, I'd want to catch some of these tarpon because these things look gnarly. But. Uh, what is it that makes that place special to you other than i mean what you've said how it's important to you because you've spent so much time there but just as a fishery and just as the fishing part goes what sets that apart in your in your mind other than caleb said you know you got both waterways i guess yeah i mean for me for me it was all about coming from florida where man every inch of this coastline is known about um there's some secret places that growing up here I know about that are hard to access and people just don't bother going to. But getting to a place down there like that and meeting and being there with my good friend Micah and then meeting Mark, who's like a brother to me now, and then us three sort of like no and just going out and fig and exploring it and figuring things out. I mean, that's a blessing in life right now. The world's it's hard to find a place like that on planet earth where, and, and to bring a sport into that place and to help grow a sport in the country through craft and through the organizations and, and yeah, find these tarpon fisheries again, that used to be popular back in the seventies and eighties. Um, and, and try and bring it back to life is huge. And then explore these jungle areas that, you know, people don't, didn't go before us you know like not in but uh, not doing what we were doing so like we've paddle boarded places we're the only people that ever paddle boarded there you know we've fished yeah. wow. that's yeah. insane people probably haven't casted before yeah, you know throwing, haven't bought to go that a fish that have never seen a fly before i mean that's just yeah there yeah and and it's that's cool man like i you know whether however it all turns out in my life like those were memories that no one's taken from me and That's I awesome. couldn't have got anywhere else, you know? So if somebody was to, uh, yeah. you know, if I was to randomly come upon a gift of funds and time off of work and I was coming to fish with you, what would be your, like, this is what you're doing? Like, this is, oh. this is, this is what we're doing, boys, if you get to come, you know? like Yeah, the best thing that we do, um, in my opinion, we just took uh, the guys from Marshwear Clothing and some videographers and stuff and ran them around and we, we showed them sort of the best thing that we can do is starting off at the border of Nicaragua and Costa Rica on the Caribbean side, fish tarpon for a few days, get in the truck, hightail it into the sort of center part of the country, 
raft some lower land jungle rivers and try and catch machaca, which is a, a cousin to the piranha. It's amazing fun on the fly rods um, and do that for a few days uh, and then make our way towards the northern Pacific side. So you go coast to coast, it's a coast to coast tour, essentially. And you end up beach camping out on these remote beaches on the Pacific side, catching rooster fish and jacks and snappers and all these things. So we're going to need, we're going to need a whole week is what it sounds like. Yeah. It's pretty much nine days. (laughs) Like you need need nine days and you, and, um, ideally like we have a great place to stay while tarpon fishing. That's great accommodations for as remote the area as it is. Um, and then while we machaca fish, it was just epic, like jungle bungalow type building that our buddy owns. It's like all patchwork trees and things built up. It's two stories right on the river. And then we camp out on the beach. So it's, um, it's definitely an experience that like no one else is going to give you except us. Like that sounds pretty epic. No one else has the connections that. that we have. Um, technically our friends, Tom and Federico could do it for sure. <laughs> But we'd appreciate it if they let us handle that. And what time um, of year do you do those trips, man? Like, is it a certain time period? Uh, tarpon, like the tarpon are there all year. The issue with tarpon is the weather. Um, so we try and base it off of like a, our our rainy season and our dry season. So our our best time for coast to coast trips are April, May, and early June, and then late August, September, October. Um, so those are sort of our two dry seasons that happen on the Caribbean side. So ideally to do it in those months, but you could do it at any time. Like when we lived in the country, the dudes out there were calling us and be like, yo, the sea is flat. Like you can get out the river mouth. Cause that's the big question out there is if you can make it out the river mouth safely, um, which is pretty treacherous. If it's rainy season and there's high waves, like you're not, it just people flip and die in there all the time. So making sure like, if we're bringing people out there, it's going to be safe. Kind of those months are the months you want to go in. But we were, when we lived there, like they would call us and be like, dude, you can get out. And we would not like we had a whole bunch of stuff going on the next day, but we'd cancel whatever we were doing and go tarpon fish for a few days. That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. I, tarpon fishing seems pretty, pretty amazing. Um, well, last thing before we take a break. Uh, so you've, you've done, you know, the fishing thing, all the stuff, and now you've gotten into the media side of things. I mean, you're, you're one of your most recent films just won an award. Um, yeah. That's phenomenal. Uh, you got some other films that are being voted on now for the International uh, Fly Fishing Film Festival. So tell us a little bit more about getting into the videography side of things and what your kind yeah. of deal is with that. So getting the video, like – I was making fly time videos. So I, I was kind of getting an idea of just cameras in general, but um, then we started making videos of us fishing down there. And then yeah, I got kind of hooked on the creative aspects of that. I've always been a creative person drawing and painting and just a creative I guess, person in general. But when I started doing the media stuff, man, all my creative energy went to that. And I, I mean, I was, all I was thinking about was that. But I was down there. I had, my buddies didn't care about that at all. I was a token photographer in, in our little group, and I just beat my head against it, man. Went to YouTube University and absorbed everything I could about the cameras in general. And then editing, like today, most of your 
work is done post-production editing softwares and things not that you know you need to know both like how to take the image and then what to do with it once you have it so that became a big thing for me and i started focusing on that as a means to grow my presence because at that time i really my instagram started doing well the youtube was doing well things were moving around so creating content was sort of the only way people could see what it is we were doing. And without the internet, like, I mean, I bash on social media all the time. I bash on it, but without it, um, you know, I wouldn't be talking to you guys. So it can be used for, for positive things as well as, as all the negativity that we see it being used for. But um, so, yeah, I get into doing that. And then eventually people were like, Hey, like who's making your videos? Like, who like are you making all these i'm like yeah it's just me dude like i'm freaking doing it all and uh that led into opportunities of freelance in costa rica and then different brands wanted to work with me with different things so it became this like just again like an organic thing where i said okay i'm gonna learn how to do this and um like now all summer long as i sit here i'm in florida but i'm traveling all summer filming sport fishing championship for cbs sports you know oh, wow and that's awesome that airs every Saturday or whatever it is after the tournaments. And that's it's like, great. that's an opportunity again, that the guys that got me onto that gig were following my Instagram and YouTubes when I was running around Costa Rica, you know? That's so wild. it, um, it's crazy. And, and again, like I'm stoked now to be in Florida and be around some of these, especially on this job, like other guys that take photos and videos and, um, cause I, I've never had that. And I think, that helps you, I guess, create like a style or create, you know, bad, good and bad habits. You could say I definitely have a lot of them. Let's but, uh, uh, one thing I want to make sure we do before we before we go to break. I want you to mention the name of that film that won the award. I'm sure some of our listeners yeah, have already seen it because they went to the that won the award was called is called The Legend of Casamar, and it's a tarpon film uh, from the border in Nicaragua and Costa Rica that was in the fly fishing film tour this year and. Um, made its rounds around the United States and then, uh, yeah, picked up movie of the year at the Drake video awards in Salt Lake city. So okay. kind of a crazy, crazy, crazy experience. Like that was the first big film that I actually said, I'm going to tell this story about this lodge. that used to be there and the characters and, and then show what the place is today. Cause we're guiding over there now. And, um, previously had been sort of not dead, but hadn't been in the limelight for a long time. I and um, cool. so we brought it back a little bit and luckily the the second i you know a lot of the films that are in the tour like there's filmmakers that have been doing it for a long time and they, everyone knows everybody it's this little club well i had made the film and been making it without telling anybody and i literally just went on the website went to the submission page and submitted it one morning last maybe early september and in like an hour, the dude, this dude, John messaged me. He's like, what the heck is this? Like, where is this coming? Like, I want to know more about this, you know? And I, I had gone back, I think late September or early October and finished filming in, in Costa Rica and had an edit for him towards the end of October. And, and they ate it up right away, you know, and it ended up becoming a huge success. So kind of a crazy, kind of crazy one. That's incredible, yeah. man. And I got to tell you, your videos are awesome. Like the way you do, tell a story in all of those videos is, is really cool. And, Thanks. um, they're, uh, they're really extraordinary. And if people haven't yet, hopefully they'll go check them out after this. We're uh, going to talk about all, one of those um, in detail. 
the the video the legend of Casamar was in the film tour so it's not online yet yeah. i'm still trying to figure out how i want to release it to the public i've ha heard everything from oh create a big marketing plan and make sure it gets all these views and do this and that and um i mean it just went around the country in a film tour so yeah. i'm like i'm probably just gonna go classic jesse males and just bump it on my youtube one day and let <laughs> everyone enjoy it because um you know, I lost a ton of money on it. Making, you know, mostly you're getting sponsorships and you're doing all these things. And I just went out and did it by myself. And yeah, so I don't know. I don't feel the need to like make it anything more than it is. I'm probably just going to drop it one day without telling anybody. That's wild, man. That's cool. Well, hey, we're going to um, we're going to take a quick break and then we will be right back with more from Mr. Jesse Mails and his story and a little bit more about some of his videos that we're excited to talk about. So we will be right back dads on the fly is brought to you by pigeon river outfitters pigeon river outfitters the place for your family adventure on the pigeon river right here in beautiful western north carolina make sure and check them out and take a tube float or a you can take a fishing float, take a uh, raft, whatever you and your family would like to take down the beautiful Pigeon River. So make sure to check Charles and his gang out at PigeonRiverOutfittersNC.com for a wonderful day with your family right here on the Pigeon River. All right, guys, so we're back with Jesse tonight and uh, from BackwaterFlyFishing.com, Backwater Fly Fishing on Instagram. You can check him out there. And uh, before we go into our second half of the episode about Jesse and being his his uh, fatherhood experience and being a dad, we want to get an update from the fly tying vices. And so since we have a professional fly tire tonight, we will not uh, necessarily give an update from mine and Caleb's vices. But but this part of the episode, as always, Caleb, is brought to you by what? Anadromous Fly Company, your sharpest decision in fly tying tools. Make sure to check them out at aflyco.com. So... Jesse, man, you are a professional fly tire. I mean, you sell your you sell your flies. Um, so for two, well, for an intermediate, we gotta go there. Hold noob. on, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a little different. Okay, <laughs> so, so you can ask your question, and I'll guy, ask mine. This is the guy who tied his elk hair on his elk hair caddis on backwards last night. So, um, you know, we just <laughs> he's still learning, but uh, he's still caught fish. <laughs> there you go. That's what matters, right? Um, so I love your videos. I love your fly tying videos because I think you said it earlier in the. Uh, episode I, I like you got tired of watching 25 minute videos to learn how to tie a fly. Yeah. so what is your reasoning behind behind those quick three to five minute videos and how do you get all that still the info in into those quick clips yeah man so like definitely I was sick and tired of these 20 minute vids when I'm trying to learn how to tie you know a snook fly and primarily what I do is salt water, uh, aside from some bass and some stuff like that. Um, but the the thing for me was just when I started and not knowing anybody and not having any information. And once I started feeling like, okay, I've accumulated something that I could share with other people immediately. I wanted to just be like, okay, guys, this is how we do it and start putting those things out there and doing it in a three to five minute format. I think really caught on because I guess I wasn't the only one, like you said, that you're not, yeah, you're definitely not. So, you know, having different angles in the videos, having segments where I could fast forward me doing 20 thread wraps and doing things that, you know, parts of the process that weren't hundred percent necessary for you to focus on and just fast forwarding through those things, or sometimes not even showing them at all. 
Um, and then I, I experimented with a mix of having text over the film, film showing the, what the step was like, okay, trim the foam and I had a, okay, step number 10, trim the foam. And then it was like, well, I, then I started practicing laying some audio over them and, and actually talking the viewer through the process instead of having the steps written down and trying to see what was going to work best. And then, um, you know, so did some articles for tail fly magazine on and fly patterns in there that got printed and um and then now like if, if you go to my instagram now i just posted uh, a few reels on there recently in the last week and a half of some fly time things that are under a minute you know and yep. i'm like here's my problem with those i can't ever follow those things they go too fast for me. <laughs> i'm so new at doing it i'm like oh crap and i'm already lost I, I got one just question from the newbie i've i bought my vice in december man so i've literally been tying flies for less than six months and you know, I awesome. get, I get by, but if you're a new <laughs> fly tire, like I am, and you know, here you are sit as a professional fly tire without going like super detailed, what would you say? Cause we have some folks who listen to us that are new at flying tying too. Cause they always come back at me like, well, yeah, I mess up all the time. But what would you say is like one just tip or one little bit of advice? Do this. Don't worry about this or whatever. Uh, the main thing is you don't need as much thread as you think. Okay, great. Um, most people, when they start, they put way too many thread wraps for each step. And you'd be surprised how well, you know, four to six thread wraps actually holds that material on there. And then making sure you finish the fly off well, um, being mindful of where that last bit of material needs to go before the eye of the hook is going to make that fly look at least a lot better because you could tie a perfect fly. And then if you have the, the part right before the eye, yeah. not looking clean, sorry. Yeah. Oh, well, Write it off. one last, one last fly tying question. So I know you said you're, you're super creative. Um, you know, you've had that come out in your media and all your stuff, but I feel like you got to throw that creativity because you're creating your own flies now as well. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, immediately when I started, aside from a few patterns, everything I had started selling were things that patterns that I had original to you original to me. Yeah. So that was a big thing from day one too, was kind of putting my own twist to things and figuring certain things out that were a little different. And then now that, you know, it's definitely where I am now is a lot of the things I do are just things that I've picked up in, in the last seven years of doing this. That's super cool. That's one of the things I'm not a super creative guy, but it comes out a lot of me when I'm fly tying because I'll see something, you know, I'll pick up a bug around here that looks different than a bug out in Montana, and I'll yeah. be like, oh, I'm going to throw this little variant on there. I'll throw some, you know, stuff on there, and it's that's way more fun for me. Um, and it's really cool when you're catching fish on stuff that you've tied, and you're like, nobody else has got anything else like that. So that's pretty neat. <laughs> yeah, and it's, you know, it's like, yeah, it's always been in me. Like, even the even the things, like, that, I, that were – kind of out on the scene when I really started all this, the Drew Chicone and, and Nick Davis and these guys that were really heavy on Instagram and, and publications everywhere with what they were doing. It was sort of like, no matter if you're freshwater, saltwater, bass, deer hair, like whatever form of fly tying you're focusing on, like it's not going to hurt to just copy everything that's out there and learn all the basics. And you break the rules later, you yeah. know, but like yeah. breaking the rules when you don't even know what the rules are is pointless. So like figure out what game you're playing and then break the rules. That's a good call. 
Um, don't just get into fly tying and think I'm just going to throw all this stuff because the materials have their place and their purpose in different stages of, the, of every fly. So learning how the things work is important for yeah. sure as a beginner fly tire. Like don't negate that. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I didn't start trying to throw any variants in until five or six years later. So. <laughs> and I may, I may never throw any variants in. I may just tie what I know works. Sure. So, man, Jesse, we can't thank you enough for taking this time to be with us. But, you know, one of the main reasons that uh, I reached out to Caleb when I when I heard an episode you did on another podcast is, um, is what you said about two things. Um, one about being a dad and, and one about your faith story. So we're going we're gonna to talk about your faith story in a minute, but – I want to just talk, man. You've got two kids. Yep. And I think were were both of those kids born in Costa Rica? Yeah, they were. Little jungle rats. <laughs> what was that like? Um, the not the best birth stories, to be completely honest. Yeah. Um, I wasn't able to be in either of the hospitals. Um, for my wife, they were born in public hospitals. Um, the first one was in a town called San Ramon, which is a smaller town outside of, uh, San Jose and just a small little hospital, not super nice freaking people in there. Um, but at the time we hadn't been there long and it was just, we didn't speak good Spanish and we we're just wondering what's like, what the heck's going on. Yeah. really? You know? <laughs> and then, uh, my last one was born, um, 30 minutes from my house in a town called Heredia, right down sort of connected to San Jose, really the main city in, in the central Valley. And then unfortunately that was, uh, the week after the country went into full lockdown because oh, of COVID. Wow. So I pretty much had to drop the wife off at the hospital and say, call me when you're done. Wow. Um, I'll come pick you up. That's crazy. <laughs> Well, just talk about how important it is to you just just to be a dad and doing what you're doing, yeah. man. I mean, it's my wife had wanted to have kids. We've been married almost eleven years, and she had wanted to have kids early on, and we were young. And I'm like, nah, you know, like no idea what I'm doing. I had told you guys earlier in this story how unconscious about what I was supposed to be doing in my life, so. I was really like, no, it's not the time. And I, and honestly, I never really felt like, oh, okay, now's the time to have a kid. But I just kind of felt like, okay, I can't keep telling my wife no on this. So we're going to be married forever. I do want kids. Let's do it. And, and after my first son was born, I don't know if anything hits you harder than that. Like, and then, and then it became like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm still like just blown away by my firstborn son. It's crazy. Uh, he's six years old now. And yeah, we've had so many good times and, and he's had such a great childhood. Some of the things that he's experienced too are just so unique to, and, and kind of rare, like, and, and so far removed from the way I grew up, um, you know, growing up in Costa Rica is not your typical vibe. So it's been amazing. And then, and then again, the wife's like, Oh, we need to have another one, you know, cause you don't want to wait too long that whole deal. So it was four years after before we had our second one come out and again i was like i don't know you know one's crazy like covid and all this stuff has is, is, covid wasn't on on the scheme at the time when we tried for it but business i'm running around things are getting crazy with the guiding and all this and 
Sure enough, man, two is better than one. Get the yeah, second man. one out even during COVID. We're <laughs> countries in full lockdown. We're, you know, can't leave our little town, our little area. Something you can only leave two days a week from your house to go buy groceries and you can go back home. Like the country was in for 17 months. No one was allowed in the country and we were pretty much forced to just sit at home when luckily we were in a, a pretty nice rural area on the side of the mountain and we would summit the mountain multiple times a week and hike and run you know just we we're super blessed in that little bit of time there um to be a family and to be in that place and to be somewhat secluded but had good friends around and yeah just watch the kids kind of grow and it was it was crazy man like yeah, th those are days that you'll never i know you and your wife if you were able to have that much time what watching your when they're young like that you know mine are 10 and 7 now and uh and you don't realize how fast it goes by and in those those moments yeah. man you, you have them in your your mind and those memories they mean so much sometimes i feel like they mean more to the parents because we we just cherish those oh, times sure. when they were little yeah i remember so i mean some of the things that are just so unique and special to us that we were in a a two-bedroom one-bath little wooden cabin thing overlooking the central valley you could see sunsets out over the pacific from 40 miles from the ocean because we're up on the top of this volcano probably a mile high on this volcano and you're just like able to hike up to a waterfall if you wanted to you're able wow. to lay you know we'd set the tent up on the hill behind the house and just you could see the whole city lights and camp up there with the boys and we had found a few dogs in the river machaca fishing one day that we brought home me and micah and micah lived essentially across the hedge he's my good friend who guides with me um from me and then mark uh my other good buddy who owned the outdoor store who, who runs the guiding business with me now too i was actually renting the cabin from him so we were all on the same property up there we didn't have to drive it we just walked through the bushes you're at the other dude's house walk cool. you know and we would cook and hang out and mark ended up getting like a pretty big kind of we called it base camp and we'd have all the outdoor junkies and climbers and stuff come meet up there you know secretly and uh have these not parties but just like we had nothing to do yeah yeah you know, it was great, man. Great, great stuff. And, and yeah, the, the time with the kids is something you'll never, I'll never, that's great. There'll never be times like that again, you know, sure. but it, got it, you know, that's awesome, man. I know one of the videos you made, uh, it's actually, um, it's actually on one of the, uh, fly fishing. It's the international fly fishing. Explain it to me one more international time. International fly fishing film tour has an awards thing they do every yeah. summer called the STEMI awards. And, you can submit films to the internet and they ended up picking three of my films that are on there to be That's voted awesome. for throughout the month of July. So, yeah, so we want to make sure we'll make sure to tell our listeners to go check you out and to go do that. Um, I know yeah, you can yeah. find that on like your Instagram feed and stuff like that. Yeah. Like on the that. link in my Instagram bio. Yeah. There's the a place for them to go there, vote. So make sure right to go there. vote for you. But one of those videos that I really love is the, uh, the three generations video. Um, when yeah, you tell definitely. that story of three generations of fly fishing, tell us a little bit more about that. Just kind of whole story behind that video, why you made <laughs> it, um, and uh, why it's so special to you. Yeah, that video is special, and it's funny. So we're it's me, my dad, my wife, and my my kid, and we we're, we're up in the mountains in a in a place by a trout river, staying in this little cabin, 
doing nothing. And I had just bought a new camera body. So, or no, a new lens, this one. I shot the whole thing on this fixed 35 millimeter lens. That's so awesome. I just bought this and it's a 1.4. So it's got like a really shallow depth of field. So I was like, I'm going to film something obviously with this thing. And you can notice it if you go watch the film, like the parts that are in focus on some of those things and everything else is blurry and it just looks really cinematic and cool. So I was like, okay, I'm going to shoot. Like I got this idea. I want my dad in it. I want to have my son in it. So I was talking to my dad. I'm like, dad, you know, will you, He's, I never asked him to do anything in front of the camera before. I was like, dad, you know, like, will you just sit down and like, like here are some ideas I have written down about what I want you to say. And then like, I'm going to come in and I'm going to say some stuff. Like I didn't write anything down either. I was just like kind of an idea. We'll just turn the camera on and we'll get some audio and I'll put it over the video. And my dad's like, yeah, dude, I'm not saying any of that. Like, I'm sorry. That's not, I'm like, don't ask me to say something. And I'm like, okay, okay. Like just as long as you'll do it. So he was the first one we filmed. And I was like, you know, just talk about me and like growing up in fishing or whatever. Cause then I'm going to talk about Eli fishing. And um, yeah, I set the camera up, put it on him. And then the audio you hear in the video is literally the first thing that came out of his mouth. The only thing he said. And I was like, yeah, that'll do. And I shut the camera <laughs> off. I'm like, that's perfect, dad. Thanks a lot. And then uh, I was like, wow, that's a really compelling, like, he came off really good on camera. Yeah. I wasn't expecting oh, man, that. I'm not awesome. saying, my dad's not bad with words or nothing, but it came off really nice. And yeah. I was like, okay. So I shot a little bit of B-roll around the cabin, came up with a few shots of me. And then I laid down a little bit of audio. First thing that came out of my mouth, I was like, that's good enough. Cause at the time I'm just creating a little thing messing around with this lens. I'm not thinking anything about it. And then we went behind the cabin. It was all shot in like two hours. I went behind the cabin, my son i gave my son on the fly rod and because he had seen so many videos he already knew kind of how to fish so i just gave him the rod and the trout he catches is his first trout he ever caught and oh, i was that's able to so that's cool. pretty sweet yeah, that's awesome so the whole thing was like this magical thing and then my wife was there and she used to film uh and be a photographer back in the day in college and and things so she she knew a little bit about cameras so I gave her the camera. I was like, you know, just film me walking around. Like I want this shot of me, like taking my shoes off and going in there barefoot. And which is things I used to do in the Carolinas. Like when I, where I learned how to trout fish was in the Carolinas and I would run around these brown trout streams and stuff barefoot and bust my toes all up. So I was like, I want to have a shot of me, like taking my shoes off and going in there barefoot. So we filmed that. And then I think that afternoon we, we were done filming before lunch or whatever. And I, edited it that night and put it on the internet the next day, which is how I do a lot of my videos. And um, it got, it was well received at the time too. And then when I, this year, for some reason, someone had mentioned the STEMI awards and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to submit some old YouTube videos into there. And uh, yeah, they, they picked it to be in the, in the lineup. So it was pretty cool. That's really And funny. it is one of my favorite videos because it's like, the way it came together and the moments that were captured in it were super special to us too. So it, it definitely got my vote. Um, I know you got three films on there, but that one had to take my vote because it was just like you <laughs> just said, it was special to to us as um, you know being fathers for sure. And then seeing that, but I want to go back to something else I saw you do on, on a quick Instagram reel that I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Talk about taking your son's six, right? Yeah, he's so, six. So just talk about 
what that looks like taking him on a on a paddleboard, man, and doing some fishing. Yeah, yeah, we had I would take him down one of the rivers we Machaca fished in Costa Rica when he was probably four. I started putting him on the front of the paddleboard, and when I would go with Micah and Mark, we would always go on paddleboards, and I'm like, well he could sit on the front or whatever. And so he'd go down, I'd hook fish and I'd let him reel him in. And he thought it was the jam, you know? So when we got back here to Florida, I knew I was like, I gotta get some paddle boards fast, you know? And uh, luckily I have some really good connections with boat boards and we were able to get some paddle boards, even though supply chains all screwed up. Yeah, They had some in the back of the warehouse or wherever they got them from, I don't care. But we were able to get some boards in and there's a river here in central Florida that I've, I've done multiple, like three, four day trips down and it's a pretty long river. So I, I was like, okay, I got to show this guy what a bass is. He's never caught a largemouth bass. You know, he's been in the jungle. So we go down, I'm like, it's a one night camp. We, we fish all day, camp fish all day the next day and we can get out to where someone can pick us up. So uh, that's what we did. And we ended up, going in there my brother came for the first day and we ended up catching a freaking monster bass um on spinning gear but because i was i was just casting hooking fish letting him reel it in because part of it's i want to teach him how to spin fish because we were never he was never spin fishing so yeah i hooked this seven pounder and i give him the rod and he's just like can't do it i'm like give it back give it back like we don't want to lose the thing either anyways so like i ended up landing it and then we went down the river the next day after camping and fished until like one or something and caught like 37 bass on wow. spinning gear. And he, so now he's like, he's digging on that, you know, and that was a good time for us too. to, to that was the first time we got away here together, just me and him and got to camp and, you know, do the whole, this is how we collect firewood. This is how we, yeah, that's, you know. that's what I want you to speak on. Like, there's a lot more to that than fishing. Like if you're going to do that kind of oh, trip, dude, there's, totally. there's a lot and like, <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's part of learning him learning how to be out there, you know, with just me. Cause it's a blessing and a curse guys. Like when you're in my shoes, like nothing I can do for work is at home. And, you know, aside from the editing something, yeah. but like, if I'm going to film something, I'm away mostly multiple days. If I'm guiding, if I, when I go to Costa Rica this fall to guide Tarpon, I, you know, I'm not home. So those are times that are super important for me and times that me and him could, you know, try, get to learn to trust each other and, and, and I could show them how cool these, these things can be. And so, yeah, it was huge. I mean, we, we can't, but we did, we woke up the, the morning I'm not going to lie. And he was like, Oh, I don't really want to go out the next day and fish. And I was like, dude, well, we ain't going back to the car. Buddy. <laughs> it was only one way out this thing. And then 30 minutes into the river flow, we're catching bass and he forgot he about it. it. But yeah, yeah. that's great. You know, part of it was, you know, is being away from mom, being with me and man, those are, yeah, the little, the two-year-old now too, like he's going to be, we've, we've done a lot of some family camping trips and I bought this little van. It's like a 1994 Suzuki Japanese van. Nice. Perfect for camping. So like we, we did a few camping trips in it uh, locally before it got so hot that you just wanted to sweat to death. Yeah. <laughs> Florida. Uh, and those are cool times, great images of the kids. And, you know, I'm hoping this fall, this winter, we could do some more. We, we did a camping trip in Georgia together um, out of the car. But, you know, that's how it starts. You know, awesome. I'm, I'm the climb the mountain and get away from everyone guy. But, like, with the kids, I just got to reel myself in and be like, it's okay. Like, 
just can't buy the car tonight, you know? Yeah, that's part that's of it. Cool, man. Yeah. Well, dude, this is this has been awesome, Jesse, and uh, we really appreciate everything you've said so far. Um, before we kind of wrap things up, though, uh, you mentioned this earlier in the episode, and we, we want to make sure to bring it back out again. Sure. I know your faith has been extremely important to you, uh, especially as you've kind of, like you, you said earlier, you know, you burned your boats, went down to Costa Rica, and you're, you're living, like you said, you know, figuring out the next two weeks at a time, kind of. Um, so how how has your faith played a part in this entire adventure that you've been on in the fly fishing industry? Um, and what what's that been like for you? Yeah, man, I mean, that's and, something and mind, that came about. Mind, sorry, do you mind sharing, too, like just kind of your coming to faith story, like what that was like? Yeah, yeah, that's life. where I was going to start. Okay, I mean, great, that's thanks. The, that's the kind of kickoff for my lifestyle now. Like I have a saying that, that you could be broke anywhere, you know, and that's true. Like a lot of life right now is, you know, when you get out of college, you know, you get a job, you get a career, you make money, you buy a house, you start a family and it's all focused on income and, and what you're going to earn and what, and the, and all your consolation in life and all your security comes from your income. Well, I grew up dirt freaking poor. Like my dad, my mom didn't work. My mom, we had, I have three brothers. My cousin lived with us. My, you know, friends lived with us. We had bad homes. My dad was a woodworker and we'd skim by, man. I wore my brother's clothes growing up. I never, you know, like through high school, my hand-me-downs, like it wasn't until I started working for myself after college that I really earned anything significant. And even that was, my wife wasn't working. So I was supporting her and everything. And it was like, before I met my wife, I got to a point where I was just every typical college kid, man. Like I grew up skateboarding and just into counterculture and um, drugs, alcohol, you name it. And just hit a bottom of being hopeless. And, and, and my, had always grown up with my dad being a big Bible guy. Like he had ups and downs in his life and his, his walk with his faith and different things, but he was always constant in the fact that, yo, like, you know, there is a creator out there. You're here for a reason. And so I grew up with that, you know, and, and, I, and at that time in my life, I never really cared. I never, I was just like, yeah, whatever. It's a kooky story or I knew it, but it just didn't feel right. It was weird. And, I, and I, my, all my focus was on the things that I thought were going to give me joy and peace and gratification and, uh, and I, identity, I guess, you know, and I had sort of this identity with my friends of being like, you know, the partier, the crazy guy, the social dude, I was most likely to succeed out of my senior class. And I'm, I skipped a grade when I was young. And I was just like, always like the cool kid, the edgy kid. And then in college, man, it, it came, got me like all that stuff started falling apart. My friends started leaving my, I was all, you know, and it just, I hit the bottom hard. And my older brother, Casey was a big catalyst in me even coming to the Lord or, or coming to a faith in general, because he had struggled with drugs and alcohol too. And, and he ended up going to a rehab in Leesburg and got clean and, and ended up really just, you know, becoming a new person, a new creature, you know, and being born again. And that having to, to see that in a relative that you you've known your whole life and to see someone so radically changed, um, just changed. I wanted it. I'm like, what I had seen like somebody so tormented, just get so much peace in 
you know, in a month's time that I had to have it. And I'm like, whatever it is going on, dude, tell me about it. And he was able to share the gospel with me in a real way that touched my life. And, and from then on, I was like, okay, like I'm at a low, low point. Um, so it's either I go six feet under or I, it's all the way up from here, you know, like, cause we're not going any lower than this. So I made it a point to, to stop drinking, to stop, you know, living. And at the time I was living with a reggae band. I was, I didn't have a place to stay. I couch surfed like my last half of college cause I had nothing. And after I actually met my wife, I had a plan to, to walk from Orlando to Cody, Wyoming after I graduated I was a month away from graduation and I met my wife at a party that my roommates threw and she was in the same scenario I was with life and everything. So I was able to be like, Hey, like this, I was just in that situation in my life and boom, she comes to the Lord and wow, it is a huge part of our marriage, a huge part of everything I do because, you know, and then, like I said earlier in the podcast, the move to Costa Rica, the way it came about, the, the whole thing was was in my view, and, and especially at the time and even now, like a very divine thing. Like you can't make that stuff up. Like, and there wasn't an incentive to go there. I'd never even been there when I moved there. I had never even thought about moving there. And to go there without a plan and then use the skills that that God gave me to promote myself and to, to become whatever, whatever form of success I've achieved, you know, is all through following what I think the Lord made me to do, which is fish and to teach and to, you know, create things. I think, um, having faith is in that direction is the only way to get through it. Like we went, we hit rock bottom, like just open and honest, hit rock bottom in Costa Rica. We're living on a credit card for a year. And then the business takes off and then selling flies, you're paying off debt, you're doing the, everything's, everything's working, everything's working, guide services is working, boom, COVID-19. Now you're sitting there for 17 months doing nothing, but I'm like, okay, we're going to sit and wait this out because if we left, we couldn't get back into the country. They're only letting citizens back. So we decided to sit there and it gave me all those beautiful times with the kids and time with my, my friend, Micah, who's pretty much my brother. Like I said, I, I grew up with him and and Mark, who's, you know, very much like my brother now. And yeah, relationships and times that if I would have just kept doing what I was doing as a, you know, pizza maker or whatever, whatever, you know, restaurant dude, like we wouldn't be talking, man. And and I don't know any other direction to live. So um, yeah, following what I, I believe Jesus has for me is, it's all I really got to do. And I don't know the ant like I'm not the dude that plans. I pride myself in that, probably in my own ignorance, but I don't have a lot of plans. Like I know the jobs I have throughout this year and some prospects next year, but you know, we came back to the States feeling like it was time. My my um there were some situations with my kids and with just support that wasn't there anymore in Costa Rica. And we felt well, we need to come back to Florida because all our family's here and uh, if I'm going to be gone from the house, the wife's going to need people around to help with the kids. And so I, again, like, I mean, going there was what I felt like God had for me coming back. So I feel like God had for me, like, I don't, I don't know. And, and by this time, like I have so much experience on that path that, that I know that 
this is this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So until you know, when I stop doing it, you'll know it's when he has me doing something else. But yeah. as of right now, I just want to say, like you know, just hearing you talk here for the last hour, and you know, people aren't. Oh, we're getting to look at you too because we're sitting here on video chat, and you know, you can tell when people are genuine about about what they're really saying, like what they mean when they say, and and just listen to you say that, and I think hearing you say, you know, God's gifted you with these, these skills and, and you, you, in a lot of ways you've used them, you've used them to glorify him and also other people. Like you've really been a true sir. I can just tell just in hearing your story, you've been a true servant, like giving back to people and you can, you can see that in your, your work that you put out, like your videos. You can also see that and just like you keep mentioning these relationships with people and you mentioned so many people through this episode that you formed relationships with, and we talk about all the time how important that is in in what we do, whether it's a fishing trip out on the river or or in our everyday life. Those relationships, and and now you're you're starting to make that even closer relationship with your son. And I can just say, as a, a dad of a ten year old, as that as he grows up and he, you know, your son's going to start talking to you about more and more stuff, and you're going to have those conversations. Are going to get deeper when you go to those trips on the river and stuff, man. And and that's awesome. So what a great just testimony, I thought, without, you know, you're not, you don't have to quote scripture every three minutes to just, you can see it in what Jesse's saying here. And you've been blessed, man. You've been rewarded. I mean, oh, now you got an award-winning film and you, maybe you'll have another one here. We're trying. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy, man. I mean, I remember it's so funny because I had gone to one of the fly fishing film tours way back when I first started fly fishing in Orlando. And I remember showing up and it was like, I felt just like drawn to it, like the event and everything. But I also felt like very much like an outcast from the industry because everyone seemed to know each other. And it was like this pretentious fly fishing thing. And we're gonna, and I was just like, dude, I don't know anything about this. And then, yeah, I mean, to, to, to go full circle all this time uh, on this path and then boom, the first film I try and put out there is this, it's just success. It's like, you know, I don't feel from a place that I was drawn to go to, like, and I, the only I could have told that story the way it was told yeah. uh, in the film. So it, it's, yeah, the whole thing's very surreal to me, but it, it's also proof that, you know, there's more to this life than we see. And, and there's a lot more happening than we, we give credit to. So, and I'm not saying I walk in, in a hundred percent, like glory all the time. I'm the most like, emotionally unstable person probably my <laughs> wife could attest to that one um and without her without that woman i say that all the time too without her i would none of this would have been a reality either so it's been a massive effort of having somebody there that supports me and believes in me um and believes in in the, the trajectory that we're on together so it's uh it's complex man <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, we could we could do a 500 podcast. <laughs> Absolutely, I love it, man. I love seeing um, just you know, kind of like what you're saying, just God's sovereignty over your life, uh, kind of leading and all those steps. And Jesse, just can't thank you enough for sharing everything and yeah, sharing sharing your story um, and all of that. Joshua, anything before we kind of wrap this thing up? Yeah, I just got one thing I want I want to let him close with, and I, I think he he said that he mentioned this on a, another podcast and. And I think it's a cool thing that he does. Um, you mentioned that I heard you mention a story how you were at church and uh, and there were some some young guys in the in the like young teen maybe even teenagers or whatever and they they knew who you were and that yeah that kind of like you know kind of drew you back. 
But so yeah, now that now that you're like I, being recognized in public is interesting, like because of Instagram, the way Instagram is and yeah. the way YouTube has been. And I guess being out of the country, it was never something that happened. Like I would never go to the store in Costa Rica and the dude would be like, yo, bro. Like, I'm, and it's like, so when I, when we started coming back a little more frequent, <clears throat> you know, I was up in Fort Walton at, hanging out with the guys from bow boards and, and I was with the family, I'm coming out of a Publix and I get, we go shop at Publix, go home. And some guys like, dude, are you in Fort Walton beach right now? And I was like, like from Instagram, some dude following me, like just, <laughs> I swear I just saw you and I was like, dude, yeah, that was me. <laughs> like, and then, you know, not a few weeks later, I'm down in Tampa at the boat ramp, putting the ramp in with my good buddy and someone at the ramp, there's like, dude, are you Jesse Mails? And I'm like, what's going on? You know, it's very strange, but it's also really cool that, you know, the things I've created have had an impact on, on people and people do see. And that, that's the point I wanted you to make. Like, I know that can be weird and that can be kind of different, but the fact that you've got young guys looking up to you, I know that because yeah, and then again, yeah, I mean, like you're saying at church, I, I, we start going to this church over here uh, to find some community and, and meet some people, and you know, I go there twice, and then, boom, on Instagram, oh dude, are you? What did I just see you at? And I'm like, yeah, that was me, man. Like, you know, a few people, younger dudes, 16 years old, and uh, one of the dudes I fished with a few times, um, Riley Dodd, he's a super cool kid to be honest. Like, I was never that cool when I was young. <laughs> And, uh, you know, some of his buddies, same age, man. And everyone's just, it's really cool. I'm not going to lie. It just remind. it's again, it's confirmations for me that like, you know, I'm, I'm impacting people's lives, I think for the better and, um, showing them things that maybe they wanted to learn elsewhere from other people. So yeah, we, I try to be as approachable as I can to everybody online, offline, you know, so many times I've gone to meet people in fish places that I was just like, you know, I show up and like, dude, I can't believe you wanted to come fish. And I was like, I don't know, dude, you asked me to come fish. Well, we will, we will take you fishing. We will, we will be glad to have you come fish the Western North Carolina mountains anytime you can make it up here, yeah, my man. man. So bring the, bring the, uh, bring the van you and the van, uh, lots the of great camping up here. So three month drive up there in my van. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> well, I would Jesse, love to, bro, for sure, man. Yeah, That's man. uh been all over there we'll get up here and uh we'd love to hang out with you and fly fish together sometime we'd love to make that happen well we're gonna wrap this thing up jesse but before we do what's the best place where's the best place for people to find you online right now um instagram's easy i I think that's the hot ticket right now uh and that's backwater fly fishing on instagram um and i'm pretty uh, you know reachable on there too send me a message on there i'm gonna reply to you for sure Sounds great, man. Well, Jesse, thank you so much. We're going to go ahead and wrap this episode up and uh, make sure to check Jesse out at Backwater Fly Fishing on Instagram. Go to his links, vote for his videos. And if you're going saltwater fishing, buy some flies. Yeah, man. Buy some flies from him. <laughs> Help him out. Yeah. I'll be at him. And uh, so thank you guys for listening to, to this interview and this episode with Jesse. Jesse, again, thank you for your time. And everyone, until next time, tight lines. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast. We hope this episode has inspired and encouraged you as a parent or an angler as we wade through faith, family, and fishing all on the fly. Make sure to check us out at dadsonthefly.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Dads on the Fly. Shoot us a message as we always love hearing from you all. If you'd like to check out any Dads on the Fly merchandise, you can find it there as well. And as always, if you can, leave us a rating or review and share this podcast with a friend. Until next time, tight lines. Thank you.